The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Good morning, Pathways Church. It's great to be with you today. I've actually been here once before, about five years ago. My name is Stan Tharp. I'm the lead pastor at Christian Life Center in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, beyond our mutual uh, love for the Lord, uh, we share something in common, and that is uh, our love for the Demetrician family. Uh, back in, I think it was 2006 or thereabouts, maybe a little before that, uh, when Adam and Laura had just graduated from Fuller Seminary, uh, they came to Dayton, and he became our senior high youth pastor. Uh, he set the bar for doing youth work, as you might imagine, and uh, so we've known them for many years, and we're good friends. Uh, life can be messy. Can I hear an amen? And so uh, full of unexpected things as well, and so we are praying with you uh, and for you uh, as their family goes through things they hadn't expected, the struggles they're facing, and, and I'm glad that you're going through that together as a church. Uh, we model for the bo- for the curious world that, hey, we're going to love each other forward. So you're in our prayers as a congregation as well during this challenging time. Uh, one of the things I love about Adam, uh, among many things, is that he is uh, endlessly curious. And uh, of all the people who will text me uh, messages, what's not, uh, out of nowhere, if you ask me, who is the one person who will send you random questions about anything, it's Adam. Uh, I might not talk to him for weeks or even months, and all of a sudden, hey, have you ever thought about, or what do you think of, or why is this, or whatever. So he's, he's very inquisitive. And that was no exception. Last night, he picked me up from the airport. We had dinner together, and uh, we talked all over the map about life and whatnot. And then he goes, okay, at your age, if you knew what you know now at my age, because I'm 60, you're 67, right? Yeah, he goes, what would you tell me? You know, and so the, the quizzing began. Uh, but something that I told him I think also applies to you. Uh, I said, you know, if I knew now, uh, what I, if I knew then what I know now, I said, as you move forward, don't be afraid to move forward in life and still dream big. And God's not done yet. And I would say Pathways Church, continue to move forward in the future and don't be afraid to dream big because I believe your best is yet to come. And that would have been a good amen point, yeah. And uh, one thing you're going to find out uh, with me is uh, I like to not only communicate, but I think you learn things better, you retain it better when it's not just a talking head, when you can see something, when you interact with it. And so I ask CLCers to repeat stuff. They hate it, and I do it anyway, all right? So I'm just going to ask you to tell somebody our best is yet to come. Go on, tell them. Now turn and tell somebody else, same thing, our best is yet to come. All right. Well, I understand we are in a series uh, wrapping it up. Gratitude is a full-time job. And uh, it's kind of been parsed out, the different pieces of that. And talk about a full-time job. The Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, would you repeat after me, said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And I thought I was a little curious, and I tried not to be offended when Michelle sent me my assignment for what we like you to preach on. And she said, even in suffering, aging, and hardship, thanksgiving uh, and gratitude can increase in light of a bigger story. I wanted to linger on that 
in suffering and in aging, all right? Grant, I've had 67 experiences of birthdays, so I've had my share of aging. And uh, I try to work out at Planet Fitness a few times a week. It is just to keep it all working at this stage, all right? I am not ripped, as you would say. In fact, if you use the word ripped, it's because I did it to a muscle or a tendon. That's it, all right? So, uh, but I, I do have some things to say about aging. And aging, um, it's an interesting process. But regardless of whether you're on the, the early end or the later end of that, all of us go through suffering and hardship. And if you're at that stage in life, you know, well, I haven't had that yet, live long enough and you will. Because it's, it's a fallen planet that we live on. And so I want to talk about that bigger story. And when we keep that bigger story in mind, gratitude, the, the ability to rejoice always and pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's the tricky part. Some of you are in the middle of the best time of your life. It's easy to be thankful. Some of you are in the middle of the hardest time of your life. Some of you are dealing with disappointment or betrayal or frustration or pain or a wrong diagnosis or something you didn't expect. And while our natural inclination is not to give thanks, yet Paul says, in everything, give thanks. So I want to kind of unpack this in a little bit of time we have. And first of all, the pain that we see is helped by the unseen. And I believe as Christians, as Christ followers, we have a tremendous edge on this when we realize that our perspective is not just in the here and now. If all I had was the here and now, I would be a very pessimistic, jaded kind of person. But I have a, an eternal perspective. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, torn down, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens, not built by human hands. Notice the analogy shift there. He talks about a tent. Tents are temporary. You go camping in a tent. Or you don't plan to live in a tent the rest of your life. It's temporary, and it gets torn down, and then he shifts to a house. House is permanent. You have a house, a home in the heavens that's eternal, not made by human hands. He's talking about our bodies. And uh, from the moment we are born, our bodies grow and develop, but they begin a process of aging and, and eventually being torn down. And uh, I happened to be on the plane, and I had thought about, I could explain how that, I'm experiencing that personally, or I texted Adam, I said, hey, can you guys just throw a picture up for me? So rather than tell you how my tent's being torn down, I thought I'd just demonstrate it. This is 42 years ago when Joyce and I got married. Yeah. Evidently, my tent's being torn down from the head down, right? <laughs> it happens. You get old, you have enough birthdays, and your body will remind you we're not as young as we used to be. And it, there's things you want to do, and your body just goes, nope. And there's things you do, and your body reminds you tomorrow that you did it. Uh, and that's just the aging part. And then there's the, the disease and the diagnosis part that's difficult. You know, my wife came down during COVID, all that's happening. She came down with breast cancer, had a horrible battle with that. Thankfully, she's getting past that. But there's all kinds of struggles that we have in the aging process. But then there's just the rest of life. Now, let me go a little further in this because Paul brings the unseen perspective to our faith that's just transformational. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore... We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Say faith, not sight. Walking by faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
I live my life and the primary input and the primary thing that I interpret is beyond what I see. I walk by faith, not by sight. And then he says, we are confident, I say, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive, he's basically saying. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Basically, my life on this planet will someday come to an end. And when it does, from what Paul says, I'll breathe my last breath here and my next breath with Christ. And when I stand before him, he also says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our deeds in the body, whether good or bad, that we can be rewarded for that. And so I want to be pleasing to him whether I'm here in the body or with him. And so I walk by faith, not by sight. And I think that... uh, when it comes to dealing with life, expectations are huge. And so how grateful I am is in part influenced by my expectations. So if you'll just indulge me in a few more annoying moments, would you say expectations? We've all got expectations. You had expectations of coming to church and whether you're going to have coffee or not, how worship is going to be, who you're going to see, how the guy who's speaking is going to do, and so on and so on. And then would you say experience? All right, and hopefully uh, your experience has been good as well. Uh, But when it comes to life, we've got expectations, and then we have experience. These can be our ideal. This can be reality. And in every area, the bigger the gap, the more unhappy we are. For instance, if you needed an automobile, and I'm going to sell you a car, and I tell you, hey, here you're looking for a car. Listen, I got a car. It's a sweet ride, great gas mileage. It's really comfortable, very reliable. You're going to love it. And it's only 3000 bucks. So you buy that car, and you're thinking, I can't believe you selling that for $3,000. And then when you get it, It'll barely start. It's very uncomfortable, a very rough ride, and it's horrible gas mileage. Your expectations, based on your experience, there's a huge gap, and you're going to be talking to me about a refund. Same car, same price. So if I tell you in the, from the get-go, you know what? This is, I'm going to sell you. It's a beater. Uh, it's not that great of a car. Poor gas mileage. It'll barely start, but at least get you from here to there so you can afford something better. I just All I did was adjust your expectations, and you're happy with the same car. You get married. You've married. You've found Prince Charming or Princess Charming. And a year later, he still leaves his clothes on the floor, right? You finally have that baby, and we dedicated her to Jesus, and now she's trying to kill me with exhaustion. Sleep, please. Great new job. What I've been praying for. Great raise, great culture, great company, whatever. And you find out the gap is... Whoa, not what I thought. And when we come to life like this, if we expect, I'll tell you, nowhere in this book does it say, because you follow Christ, everything's always going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That ain't in here. In fact, on the contrary, the one we're named after, Christ, as Christians said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So one of the ways I can be more grateful I can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, is to adjust my expectations. And then if I can, improve my experience. So as a married couple, you realize, okay, what's realistic of him or her, and then how can I communicate better? What can we do around the house that's better? And the gap is smaller, and so we're happy. 
or your job or whatever the case might be. Take this any area of life it applies. If you've got major dissatisfaction, okay, am I being realistic? And, and what can I do to improve it? And you can definitely improve your satisfaction and you can be way more thankful when I expect that in the first place. The next thought that kind of goes with that, talk about expectations, is that our pain and suffering are the tip of an iceberg. For that, and I love to draw, so I'm like, oh, this is great. I love, and a big marker. Um, for that, we'll go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Imagine God's perspective. He creates the world. He places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It is paradise. They're in perfect harmony with, with God. No distance. He will walk with them in the cool of the day. They're in perfect harmony with himself, with each other, with their environment. I mean, the word insecurity, can't relate. Pain, rejection, heartache, hurt, sin, failure, those have no definition in the Garden of Eden, the first two chapters of Genesis. But, you know, the third chapter of Genesis happened, and Adam and Eve sinned. They did their own will instead of God's will. That's the essence of sin. And, and they opened the floodgates that Romans talks about there, and death and heartache, abuse, injustice, disease, all that whoosh, just goes flooding into creation. So there has been this cosmic uh, battle between good and evil. We personify that it is God. We have an adversary, Satan, and it's eternal life and sin. This battle has been waging for thousands of years. And all the pain and the heartache and the genocide and, and the disease and the suffering and the political military and the injustice, all the things that happen in this world, they are part of a fallen universe, not just a fallen planet. And with all due respects, it's helpful on the expectations side of things to realize that here's an iceberg. I'll keep my day job. That my disappointment, heartache, and pain in yours is just the tip of the iceberg. One of, the, one of the most frustrating things to God has to be when this is going on and we happen to experience it and we do this or we do this. And we're angry at God because this, because of this pain, because of this diagnosis, because of this layoff, because of this name, the, the difficulty in life. And yet... How much sense does that really make? Because the truth is, there is this huge battle going on in the universe. My disappointment, my rejection, my pain, heartache, whatever, is just the tip of that iceberg. It makes about as much sense asking why would it happen as if you're at a Major League Baseball game, who do you follow up here? Is it the Brewers or? Phillies. Phillies. Hey, you got me, no. In, in Ohio, it's either the, the Guardians or the Reds. I'm kind of both. But 
So let's say you got tickets and you're on like first baseline, right down there. Guy hits a foul ball and you're not paying attention, hits you in the head. Oh, I can't believe I got hit in the head by a baseball. The guy next to you goes, chill out, man. You're in a major league baseball game. They hit foul balls, and if you're not watching, you get hit. Kind of applies. We want to get overwhelmed by whatever the heartache or pain or struggle or suffering or those things are, and yet, well, no, 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 we're in this. This is the universe we're found in. I almost should, if I have a good day, I should almost go to bed and go, how did that happen? It went right. It wasn't overwhelmed with pain and heartache and suffering. Whoa. And so I have the right expectations of the battle we're in, of the world we're living in, and of the God who so loved us, he gave his only begotten son to save us from this. And gratitude just pours out of me. And so let me just take the last part of this service and identify that there is a bigger story than our present struggle. And that's the whole initial theme. Even in suffering, aging, and hardship, thanksgiving and gratitude can increase in light of a bigger story. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation is groaning. We've had, we have two children, they're, they're adults now. But being present at their birth makes me so thankful I'm a man. Ladies, my head is off to you. It's amazing. Childbirth. Creation is groaning. When will this finally be over the suffering, the heartache, the injustice, the abuse, the rejection. When will it finally be over? One of my favorite scriptures in, in the Bible, most people point to Romans 8, 28. That's coming, but I love Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, to us. The sufferings of this present time they don't compare to the glory we're some gonna, someday going to experience. Jesus, at the Last Supper, before he was crucified and buried and resurrected and rose again, he made a promise to his disciples. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself. Where I am there, you may be also. Jesus made a promise, I'm coming back, and when I come back, I'm going to have a place prepared for you, and none of this is going to be there. And it does, all this doesn't compare to when we're there. So a few pointers that will, I believe, increase your gratitude is, first of all, don't ask why, ask now what. I have found one of the most futile questions to ask, and I don't know that Christians ask it more than non-Christians, but again, it's like sitting at that third, first baseline. Why did the ball hit me? Because you're in a baseball game. Why did fill-in-the-blank happen? Whatever tragedy, heartache, frustration you're dealing with, why? Well, for one, this is where we are. And there's an answer that some people give. If you give it, don't say amen right now because I don't care for the answer. Some people say, well, everything happens for a reason. That works okay for like a broken leg, maybe a car didn't start, 
And the, and the implication is, okay, well, if you just knew that happened because God has this big plan and most of it's secret, and you don't see why he made that happen, but someday it's going to all be evident to you, and then you'll be cool with that. Now when a 42-year-old friend of mine who's grown up at the church, I'm at a conference we were hosting a year ago, a video conference, and I get a text from the police department, would you please come? I'm part of an emergency response team. There's been a shooting. On my way there, I find out the shooting was at Brett's home, and his wife and his teenage daughter were killed by a deranged neighbor. I meet regularly Brett, and I, I never say, well, this happened for a reason. Like the creator of the universe, the most creative being in all the universe, has this plan, and he couldn't come up with any other solution other than to have this guy come over and murder your half your family. No. The biggest explanation I have for Brett is, you know what? My heart breaks with you, but you know what? This is where we're living. And, and this explains why the heartache and the anguish happens to all of us. But there's also hope beyond it. And so I don't ask why. I mean, I, can, I ask why God, was there something I should learn from that? Because sometimes, let's face it, I cause bad to myself. Anybody else cause bad to yourself? So I want to learn. I don't want to recreate that again. So I will ask why, but if there's nothing quick to learn, then I move on. I have found a very helpful question is now what? Okay, God, given all that, I've learned what I can. Now what? Everybody say, now what? And there will typically be some gentle prompting from the Holy Spirit of, okay, well, you could do this. Okay, if nothing else, we'll rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything, give thanks. The next point, don't blame God or sin with your words. That sounds, oh, I'm sorry, the verse, almost left the verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if I know he's going to work it together for good, I can ask now what? And I add two things to that. You're not supposed to edit scripture, but that verse, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, those are called according to his purpose. I add one thing, eventually. Say eventually. Because there's stuff right now in my life, I don't see any good coming out of it. I've asked now what? I've prayed. I've rejoiced always, given thanks, prayer without ceasing, and, and, and I do not see it working together for good. So I have to hold on in faith eventually. And then the other thing, though, is would you say if we let him? Because there are some things we go through in life and God wants to work it together for some kind of good. He'll get some kind of benefit from it. But you can just stay a bitter, angry mess and never happen. But I can't see anything good coming out of this. As long as you stay bitter and hateful and blaming how much sense does it make to, to shake our fist at God or point our finger at God when he's the one who's fighting this battle to win it for the universe in the first place? And, and Job, talk about not blaming God. Job, uh, you can read, it's in the middle of the Bible. You probably thought it was Job, but it's Job. And uh, he was wealthy. The Bible says it was his day. So he's like, think Bill Gates or George uh, Bezos or whatever it is. All right. Think that level. And he's a righteous man. The Bible says that Satan, you know, is kind of checking things out and talking to God. And, and God says, if you consider my servant Job, he's spotless, he's blameless, he's amazing. And Satan basically says, well, he doesn't serve you for nothing. Look at all he's got. 
And God gives Job permission, or gives Satan permission to test Job. And so in two days from hell, day one, he loses all of his children, all of his family, all of his wealth. Bam, bam, bam. Job still doesn't turn on God. And so day two, Satan gets further permission. Flick. Oh, having some. Is that me? Okay. Uh, I remember one time our sound guy, things were going bad, and I'm in the back room, he just goes like that. <laughs> so, you're doing good, James. Keep me going, man. Uh, he, he has a horrific blow to his health. Here's what's amazing. Here's, when I read this passage, I realize why God bragged on Job. Because it says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. My Bible says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. If you're blaming God, all due respects, stop it. How much sense does it make? God, if I God, and I saw Adam and Eve do that to my creation, I go, <laughs> fine, you're a mess, live with it. Death, destruction, pain, heartache, it's yours. But God so loved the world and the mess we made of what he gave us. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. How in the world can I blame that God who loves us that much? So don't blame God. Draw, in fact, on the reverse, draw closer to God in your struggle. See, it's hard to draw close to a God you're doing this or this to. But let me read for you from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Say all comfort. There's different kinds of comfort. There's one kind of comfort when a loved one deserts you or a friend betrays you. There's another kind of comfort you need when the doctor says the diagnosis and it's hopeless. Another kind of comfort when you fail miserably, you feel just so insecure and inadequate or, or shameful. Another kind of comfort for emotional pain and the anxiety or depression that runs rampant today. He's the God of all comfort. You're not going to come to him and he goes, sorry, I've got nothing. He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And uh, my version of the Bible says, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Would you say amen to that? There's plenty of suffering in this life. And yet Jesus modeled gratitude and giving thanks. Paul modeled gratitude and giving thanks. And talk about suffering. I mean, the Apostle Paul, you read his, his list in Corinthians. He says, I've been in prison numerous times. I've been beaten times without number. I, I received five times, 39 lashings from a whip. I was beaten three times with rods. I was stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, all kinds of danger. I mean, that guy had hard times. And he's doing God's work. And he's the one that says, oh, by the way, rejoice always, good or bad. Pray without ceasing. Don't be distracted. And in everything, whether you're in a prison, in a shipwreck, or an all-inclusive resort, you give thanks. 
And then don't go it alone. Galatians 6, verse 2 tells us to bear each other's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to go ahead and just, we call it rubberneck, and look to your left here. Look at people around you, behind you, next to you. In the back of your mind, I want you to tell yourself, they have burdens too. Just assume it. And I'd suggest to you, you're probably not sitting where you are sitting by accident. There might be somebody two seats away from you, and they barely got here. They are so overwhelmed, feel so hopeless, feel like it's not worth going on. Well, maybe I'll go to that Pathways Church. I don't know what I'm even looking for. And they may be looking for somebody to just care. It's amazing how our burdens somehow get lighter, get manageable, get survivable, when we can just share that with someone else. Romans 12, verse 15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And while if that's not a thing that happens in the body of Christ, I think you've got some caring ministries and Stephen ministries and whatnot, we're to be there when things are great and we're to be there when things aren't. See, the Bible sets proper expectations. You're going to be rejoicing and you're going to be mourning and everything in between. Do it together. We're stronger together. And then... Philippians 3, 10 through 12. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. What a curious phrase. I guess we say misery loves company. But in my misery, I do love the company of Jesus. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on. Say, I press on. So I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So first of all, he's the God of all comfort. He knows what you're going through, and there is a fellowship. You can lean into your relationship with Christ when you're going through heartache. You can't if you're blaming him. You can't if you're why and demanding answers. But if you accept the fact that he suffers, we suffer, he wants to suffer with us, you can lean into that and receive great comfort and encouragement, and you can be grateful. But another thing there is that, see, Satan's a great immobilizer. He does not want you moving forward in your faith. And Paul there talks about, I, I press on. You know, in Rome, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, one of my favorite life verses, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will continue to bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus, when you either die or you experience the rapture and go to heaven. And so way back when I accepted Christ over half a century ago, he began a work in me, and I'm a work in process. Would you say I'm a work in process? And I've also found, Paul says, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, right? Old things pass away, all things become new. Now, I've had to do a little digging in the original language to get a clearer understanding of that verse because i got to tell you, there's still some old parts of me. Anybody else got some old stuff? All right? And my progress in becoming like Christ is not like this. He began a good work. It's not this. No, me becoming like Christ and the journey he has me on, he began a good work in me, and I'm confident he'll be faithful to continue that work in me until the day of Christ Jesus. Three steps forward. It's a step or two back. And then it's three steps forward, and it's a step or two back. 
And you know what? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What he loves to do is he gets quiet during the three steps forward, and as soon as this happens, oh, you call yourself a Christian. I thought you were, I thought, I thought you were over that. And you go to the street, and then, well, God's going to be tired of hearing you repent and apologize. I'm a work in process, and I press on to what Christ laid hold of me for in the first place. And don't let your suffering, don't let your disappointment, don't let your heartache immobilize you because Satan would love for you to just get stuck there. I know some people that start out following Christ, and for some reason they thought it's healthy, wealthy, and wise always. And so when heartache or loss happen, they just, they're there. They never get out of it. They stay a bitter fraction of who they used to be, and they're stuck. It's because we fail to realize that I haven't obtained it yet, but I press on. Say, I press on. Because I want to let Christ save you for a purpose. And then, remember, shall is not is. And I'm going to read for you from uh, the New American Standard Version of the Bible because I noticed that the NIV, uh, the version of the house, uh, doesn't quite translate the original language the same way. But if you take the Bible, the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created. It's the presupposition of this whole book. In the beginning God. Just take that leap. And then, by the way, God created we already established that by chapter 3, humanity ruined it with sin. And we've been paying dues ever since. I don't blame Adam and Eve because if it wasn't Adam and Eve, I'd have done it. You'd have done it. And so we've, the floodgates were opened ever since. And, and God say, fine, you ruined it. I'm done with you. No. From Genesis then through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, I, this whole book is a chronicle of how God is going to restore to us the paradise he intended for us. He's going to conquer all of this. He's going to put it in our past, and we can once again be in a place where we're in perfect harmony with him, with ourselves, with each other, and with our environment. But it's not until the very end of the book, in the second to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, we see God's solution is not, I'm going to pull all the evil out of it. No, his only solution is a do-over. You get to Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. And then he says in verse 3, God is among men and he shall dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning. There shall be no crying. There shall be no pain. There shall be no rejection, no disappointment, no insecurity, no heartache, no abuse, none of that. That shall all be. But shall is not what is. And far too many of us want to take shall and make it now. And we get angry and blaming and wondering when it's not. But he's very clear. No, 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 expectations, experience. I want you to expect the fact that someday I am doing away with this, but this is still a battle in process. I paid the ultimate price to make you victorious to get you out of this, my son. And when we realize that, how can we help but have anything but a heart of gratitude? Oh, God, you're so incredible. 
And Paul says, in everything, give thanks. Even in my greatest heartache and suffering, I can thank him if nothing else, that this is a temporary trial that I'm going through. I can thank him that this injustice someday will be gone. I can thank him that all that internal struggle that nobody even is aware of, someday I'm going to have well with my soul forever and ever and ever. And someday he shall do all that for us for eternity. So in that context, with those adjusted, biblically accurate expectations, I can improve my experience here and I can give thanks in everything. And I can rejoice always because it's a choice. So bow your heads with me as we close. And before, before the closing, I'd like to just have a brief word of prayer for those of you that are here today. And you'd say, I am going through it. And yeah, maybe I've blamed God or asked why or withdrawn. I want to go through the difficulties and struggles with as grateful of a heart for who God is and his love and faithfulness as when everything is going great. But I need God to help me. I need God to help me at the season I'm in to be able to rejoice. I need him to help me not get distracted and to pray without ceasing. I need his help to even in this season give thanks. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand all across this place. I'm going through it. I need his help. Yeah. Yeah, several of us. Lord, you see, our, you see our hearts. Lord, this message is not to minimize at all the pain and the magnitude of the difficulty that some are going through. On the contrary, we're very aware of that. But I think you're the God of all comfort. For every upraised hand, for every needy heart, Holy Spirit, I pray exactly that, that you give whatever comfort is needed, that you remind us that shall is coming, and then we can lean into you and we can support and love each other. And, and so I pray that in all that, that you would give us grateful hearts. Help us to choose to rejoice in spite of circumstance. And as our heads are bowed prayerfully, I just want you to whisper a prayer of thanks because the Bible talks about the power of giving thanks. Just quietly out loud, would you whisper thank you and just mention three or four small things in your life you're thankful for. Everybody, just whisper thank you for, thank you for, go on. Thank you for, just tell them, simple things. I thank you, God, I could get up and walk out of bed today. I think I can see the sunshine. I think we can hear a message. I think we can respond. I thank you. And then, Lord, we just get deep from there on the hope and the love and the joy we have. And I thank you, God, you see each one. And I thank you, you never leave us, you never forsake us as we serve you. And I thank you for the encouragement you're going to be today to each one in Jesus' name.